0: Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Now, our, our roving correspondent for Culture and Sport, Mr. Basil Valentine, is on the line right now. Hello, Basil. How are you doing this week? Good evening, Patrick. Good to be with you. Great to be with you, too, Basil. And uh, there's... a uh, well, there's there's a few big stories uh, going right now. I don't know where to start, uh, but it seems like a, another sort of mini upheaval, I guess, is a way to describe it in British politics. Uh, we're coming up to the Brexit deadline at the end of January, but other things are going on as well in, in tandem with that. Just uh, walk us through some of these happenings.
1: Uh, well, uh, Boris, this week, Threatened to sack cabinet ministers if they didn't perform. Um, he's got a nice big pool of thrusting new Conservative MPs to replace them with. So um, you know we have yet to see this new government in action in any meaningful way. And Boris's previous stint as prime minister was completely overshadowed by the minority government he headed. But he's now uh, got absolutely unbridled power for the next five years. He's in an unassailable position, so we wait with bated breath to discover uh, what exactly this new government have in store. On the other side of the aisle, of course, it's all change with the Labour leadership election now in you know in in full swing. Um, but of the five remaining candidates, it seems that only two have a realistic chance of winning. They are Keir Starmer. Who's the nine to four on favourite? The bookmakers as short as one to three in another place. That means you've got to have thirty bucks on to win another tenner. And uh, his chief opponent appears to be the so-called continuity candidate, that is the left-leaning Rebecca Long Bailey. She is a seven to two chance. 20 bucks to win another 70. The other three candidates, Lisa Nandi, who made some ludicrous remarks about the Spanish government's suppression of the Catalonian independence movement as being a textbook example of how to oppose nationalism, uh, comments that were widely derided as you know, extremely, you know, uninformed to the point of being idiotic. Uh, I think she's out of the race, I'm pleased to say, Lisa Nandi. Uh, and then there's The dreadful Jess Phillips. Fortunately, a 50 to 1 shot with Ladbrooks. And the shadow foreign secretary, who I'm surprised isn't a little bit more popular in the betting, but appears to command almost no support amongst Labour members, and that's Emily Thornberry. Four women and one man amongst the five candidates.
0: What's your who would you tip uh, as as the likely winner based on this, uh, how things are shaping up right now?
1: Well, the. Uh, the odds on Keir Starmer are shortening all the time. It's beginning to look like he's going to be a bit of a shoo-in, but uh, I read this week that he went to address Oxford Labour Party, and uh, he was as dull as ditch water. He completely fails to inspire anybody. He's a career lawyer, you know, which you know pretty much says it all, Turned lawyer turned politician, and he doesn't really have... Very much to offer, but he is seen as the safe pair of hands. He's also Sir by Keir Starmer. That always looks good. Mm-hmm. People say that, you know, his reputation is too easily destroyed. He refused to, when he was the director of public prosecutions, he refused to prosecute the police officers involved in the murder of Jean-Charles de Menezes. If you remember, the Brazilian electrician shot in the head at Stockwell station.
0: Yes, uh, that was on the seven, uh, d- days after 7/7, seven, seven, the uh, notorious right. uh, subway bombings and bus bombings. Uh, so, yeah, that's right. So interesting, interesting connection there, Basil.
1: Yes, well, he's uh, very much the sort of uh, so-called centrist, i.e., neoliberal wing of the party, and uh, an avowed Remainer as the party's former Brexit spokesperson. So whether or not he's the man to galvanize the working class and uh, win back the Labour heartlands remains to be seen. His chief opponent would appear to be this Rebecca Long-Bailey, about whom the former business secretary, I don't know all that much about her, except that she is supposed to be a Corbynite. But all five candidates for the leadership, of course, have signed up for, but readily agreed to the, Board of Deputies of British Jews 10 pledges, really an ultimatum, 10 pledges which they invited the leadership candidates to sign in order to gain the approval of the Board of Deputies and avoid the whole anti-Semitism farrago being extended. However, this list of pledges, which is really an ultimatum, is completely unworkable apart from anything else. I mean, it includes some really quite ludicrous demands. For example, they are requesting that the, or demanding, I should say, that the Jewish Labour Movement, be is in charge of anti-racism training within the Labour Party, And well, the Jewish Labour Movement was completely moribund three or four years ago. It didn't exist. It was revived with the sole purpose of destroying Jeremy Corbyn. And it was quite successful in that mission. Worth remembering that you don't need to be either Jewish or a member of the Labour Party to be in the Jewish Labour Movement, which is probably why the Board of Deputies are so keen for it to be involved. Uh, The Jewish Labour Movement didn't even campaign for Labour in the last election,
0: they refused. (laughs) So amazing. Absolutely amazing.
1: They also have ties very close. The Jewish Labour Movement has close ties to the Israeli embassy, therefore, the Israeli government. And as we all know, for the last 15 years or so, uh, the Israeli government has steadily moved to the right. It's Likud. Uh, it's not even the equivalent of the Jewish Labour movement, which would have been the Israeli Labour Party, but now almost completely defunct. Now you've got a situation where people, including members of the Board of Deputies, who are openly allies of the State of Israel, they wouldn't deny that. I think, when I think you know, if you start saying they're in cahoots or that are dictated to by the state of israel they might start getting a bit twitchy but they certainly open the allies of the state of israel via the embassy and therefore of the Likudnik government of israel is are dictating to the british labor party who can and cannot be in or outside the party rebecca long bailey in an article for the times of israel said that people who anybody who downplays the significance of the anti-semitism crisis in labor should be expelled and another demand by the Board of Deputies is that anybody who gives a platform to anyone who has been previously suspended or expelled should also be expelled, okay. uh, which is the textbook definition of a witch hunt. Wow. you um, Is
0: this a purge? Yes, go on, Patrick. Is this a purge?
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, it's also demanded by the Board of Deputies that all the IHRA definitions and examples of anti-Semitism, many of which of course relate to Israel, are adopted which they were two years ago, but without any caveats or or reservations or amendments, appendices relating to freedom of speech on Palestine or Palestine advocacy. Um, and that may make life very difficult for a lot of simple rank and file Labour Party members who are generally interested in things like universal human rights. Um, so, by standing up for universal human rights, you could foul, find yourself falling foul of uh, one of these strictures and subsequently expelled. Now, you know, all but a handful of the 400,000 Labour Party members, uh, it being still the biggest political party in Europe, all but a handful would have some degree of criticism of uh, Israeli policies towards Palestinians so uh, is is this going to mean a purge of thousands and thousands of of Labour members you know such a thing would obviously be unworkable and would end up completely destroying the Labour Party but certainly people are going to be afraid to speak their minds you know Which is the aim of the exercise, if you ask me. Well, uh, As as usual, we've now now ended up talking about this. We're not talking about Bibi's plan to annex the West Bank. We're not talking about the ongoing siege in Gaza. We're not talking about the mass detention of Palestinian children and their illegal transfer from one jail to the other. We're talking about this entirely phony anti-Semitism narrative. So... Apparently, you get kicked out of the Labour Party if you say that it's exaggerated. Five members of the Labour Party are currently under investigation by the police for uh, anti-Semitic remarks or something. Five individuals. I don't know if any of them have been charged yet, but certainly none of them have been prosecuted or found guilty. That's five out of 400,000. One in every 80,000. And yet... That is deemed to be a crisis. while well, in mean, eighty thousand people being simply
0: accused. Right, and 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 those accusations aren't even uh, confirmed as such. I mean, this just sounds like a, a Kafka, a sort of scene out of uh, Franz Kafka, uh, where you know th- th- it's completely arbitrary. Whereby you could use this to eliminate your political competition if you were if you knew how to work this uh, this system do you think?
1: Well, the most ironic element really is that the Board of Deputies have said that the Labour Party leadership must only engage with what they call mainstream Jewish community groups such as themselves and the Jewish Labour Movement and not with organisations like Jewish Voice for Labour, which is a left-wing pro-Corbyn generally either anti-Zionist or lukewarm on Israel grouping, okay? But to be a member of Jewish Voice for Labour, you have to be both Jewish and a member of the Labour Party, unlike the Jewish Labour movement. But (laughs) Jewish Voice for Labour is deemed by the Board of Deputies to be a fringe group. That's the exact term they use. And they are demanding that the Labour Leadership do not engage with Jewish Voice for Labour because they're anti-Zionist. Surely the paradox there, Patrick, is that uh, a future Labour leader could be deemed anti-Semitic for wanting to engage with the entire Jewish community, rather than only those Jews prescribed by the Board of Deputies. you follow?
0: This is just precise- sound- is sounding worse and worse the more you say. This is...
1: So, 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 therefore, by extension, one could say that the Board of Deputies are themselves being anti-Semitic by excluding Jewish Voice for Labour.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's farcical.
1: Technically. It's farcical. Uh, and it would be funny were it not really deeply sinister. But the speed with which all five Labour leadership candidates readily agreed to this list of demands... It uh, was quite frightening and indicated there's some sort of the pre-arranged collective decision that they were all going to cave in, because we've now reached a point where any kind of resistance uh, at all, never mind pushback, but any attempt to sort of draw a line in the sand, as it were, and say, hey, come on, hang, you know, hang on a, a minute, um, is itself deemed as anti-Semitic, you see what I mean? There's no, you can't say anything at all. For example, Richard Burgeon, who's one of the uh, candidates for deputy leader, he has refused to sign, and he has immediately come under, because of the you know, very obvious problems that I've just outlined, and he has immediately come under attack uh, from Marie Van Zyl, of the board of deputies, as having learned absolutely nothing over the last four and a half years, and he's got to be, uh, you know, pilloried for daring to, you know, daring to hold up this, uh, you know, this the the endless march really into the internal machinations of the Labour Party of uh, really an organisation and a collective that have no business there. I mean, uh, Jackie Walker has particularly pointed out the labor activist, who, by the way, amongst the other stipulations, is that people like her must never be readmitted to the Labor Party. So anybody who's been accused or suspended can never be readmitted. And even if they, you know, get down on their hands and knees and all the rest of it, you know, and beg, no, 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 you can never come back. And they can't change its spots, you know.
0: This this is just incredible. This is So so this, this really speaks to the... Uh philosophically to the uh, the de- the the debate the the rivals uh, between athens and jerusalem uh, jerusalem it's about commandments and here you have 10 commandments from the board of deputies so as if uh, moses himself came down from the mountain with the two tablets and these are the 10 laws uh, and you must obey and then on the other side you have athens where you discuss you have debate discourse uh, you apply critical thinking, you test the veracity of the arguments, uh, you, you, you try to find the empirical truth uh, there somewhere. So these are two different schools of thought, Jerusalem and Athens. And we've had Gilad Atsman on the show before to explain that, that intellectual paradigm, uh, which is really the Athens, you could say, is the foundation of uh, Western uh, civilization, many civilizations in fact. Um, but uh, so there's two different ways of approaching things. so jess phillips is is one of these uh, labor leaders running for for leadership. and uh, one of the rebels in the party, her name is uh, Rachel Cousins, otherwise known as uh, Rachel Swindon on social media. And she tweeted out earlier in the week, basil, that uh, she 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 listed her own demands. For the board of, Dep- board of Jewish deputies, saying that you know they need to throw their weight behind uh, uh, comments made by uh, the prime minister—racist comments, uh, uh, anti-Muslim comments, uh, degradating women, etc. She lists them all out here uh, and says that uh, you know things like um, human rights and uh, the rights of Palestinians are is, is universal human rights uh, can't can't be legislated. Um, in terms of, you know, discourse and that uh, mm-hmm. the policies and the crimes of Israel under investigation by the International Criminal Court, in fact, uh, the Netanyahu which of government. Course,
1: which, of course, we're not talking about because we're talking about this instead. There's a term in economics called crowding out, which is where one activity, um, simply by virtue of it happening, means that there's no space for another activity to take place. If all your workforce are taken up sharecropping there's nobody there to build engines do you see what i
0: mean listen to what uh this is what listen to what jess phillips said about this she said uh, about rachel cousins she said this is anti-semitism holding jews collectively responsible for the actions of israel it has no place in labor rachel cousins should be suspended immediately That's pretty shocking. I mean, the the manipulation in her statement uh, that she's insinuating that uh, people who criticize Israeli policy are holding uh, Jews collectively responsible. And that's not true. Not true at all. This is something that's being projected onto reality by these uh, fringe, uh, what I call fringe, uh, radical centrists, the Blairites and the Labour Party. No, no, uh, Jews should not be collectively held responsible for the actions of Israel, I agree with that. But the actions—it's—it's it's everybody's right to oppose and to hold the state of Israel accountable for its actions and policies. And this is the part that's not being not being said. How this is being spun to me is so insidious by this uh, these uh, I don't know what to call them, um, Trotskyites. I don't know what to call these people, but so,
1: um. I, I- as you, as you know, BP and other Zionists are only too e- eager to claim that Israel does represent the collective identity of all Jewish people, in spite of the fact that there are many, many anti-Zionist Jews. So it's a sort of, it, it cuts one way but not the other. You see what I mean? Uh, the board of deputies are sort of, you know, behind what they're saying is, you you can't criticize Israel because if you do so, you're criticizing all Jews. And yet, when uh, Cousins makes the same generalization, she's immediately attacked. Do you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's it's completely manipulative, the way they're trying to, to, to play this. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Basil, do you think th- this has the potential to ruin British politics for the next decade? Am I exaggerating by oh, yeah. making that statement?
1: No, not at all. And, and certainly, into. I mean, what started off as a sort of three years ago as a, um, you know, a subplot, uh, you know, an irritant for the Labour leadership has turned into uh, an existential crisis. It's the only way to describe it. Uh, much of the fault lies with Corbyn the weak, uh, as he may forever be known, um, and his failure to go on the counter-attack when he was first attacked three years ago uh, for his Palestinian advocacy. You see, they had a – in 2017, uh, the, the election where May's majority disappeared, you know, they had a bit of a scare because a genuine supporter, long-term supporter of Palestine in the shape of Corbyn, nearly became prime minister, sort of by accident. Nobody was really expecting to do anything like as well in 2017. So, basically, it was decided after that. We can't allow that to happen again. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. Only full-blooded Zionists have been permitted to get anywhere near power in major countries like Britain. Same applies in the United States. So, hence, this concerted campaign, which, first of all, targeted Corbyn, and is now ensuring that the next leader, trying to ensure that the next leader and deputy leader are in lockstep with Tel Aviv, because anything anything less than being in lockstep with Tel Aviv means you're an anti-Semite.
0: I'm, I'm going to harp uh, again. Last point on on this. Jess Phillips. Um, I'm not picking on her. She just seems to be running uh, the the vanguard on this this campaign. She says that uh, uh, Jewish organizations. You can't call them agents of foreign power. She says that's racism. She says. But I'm going to say it's been proven. Time and time again, that the Israeli lobby in the UK, in the United States, wherever it works, out of the Israeli embassy, this has been proven, uh, this is documented, they are agents of a foreign country. They're working in the interest to transform the foreign policy of whatever country, be it the UK, be it the Canada, uh, be it France, be it the United States, to transform their foreign policy through pressure and through offering financial incentives. Okay, And through dirty tricks campaigns, as we've seen with uh, Jeremy Corbyn, that's documented. It's been proven. So what Jess Phillips, the MP, the Labour MP, is saying is uh, patently false. And in fact, uh, is, is not true, not even remotely true at all. And, uh, and she's yet using that as a, as, a, as a stick to, you know, wielding it as a stick, a political, to intimidate, to remove people from the party. It's just uh, sh- pretty shocking that this is uh, happening in broad daylight, Basil. I don't know. I'm, I just yeah. I find the whole thing amazing.
1: It it is amazing. I mean, it was at both the last two Labour Party conferences, there were a major pro-Palestine motions passed with lots of flag waving in the hall, and um, the, the last conference also uh, conference voted uh, for an arm embargo on arms sales to israel emily Thornbury, the shadow foreign secretary gave the game away in many ways in a blog she wrote the times of israel where she said that she had been trying to change that policy and had been opposed to the embargo on arms sales to israel well in many ways that's letting the cat out of the bag because that's nothing to do with anti-semitism or if you are linking an embargo on arms sale to israel to anti-Semitism and irrational hatred of all Jewish people. You know, that's a very, very, very dubious connection. But that's exactly the kind of connection that they're trying to make. They don't want want to try and purge the party, the Labour Party, of any meaningful palestinian sentiment, um, and at the same time even make it impossible to argue for a unitary state in all of historic Palestine with uh, you know, one person, one vote, and universal, equal human rights. That's going to be increasingly difficult to argue for. The only position within the Labour Party that they want to see is just the decades-old lip service to the two-state solution that will never come about, which effectively means the ongoing apartheid that we see today.
0: Yes, yeah, and it's it's widely agreed now by anybody familiar with. With this issue, the two-state solution was effectively a scam. This has been admitted as well by Israeli some Israeli officials and and others who said it was just biding time to allow them to build six hundred thousand plus or sixty six hundred thousand settlers to and so many uh, tens of thousands of homes in the occupied territories to change the demographics on the ground and thus create a new reality what they call facts on the ground. That's what the uh, uh, peace process, the Oslo process, was, was was designed to do. I even think uh, Bill Clinton played a, a a part in that, and he was rewarded very heavily by the uh, Israeli lobby for his role in shepherding that dead end, leading everybody down that, that, that cul-de-sac. I don't know where we're going to go from here, but uh, this one does not look like it's going to have a happy ending, Basil.
1: No, I mean... <laughs> People in the Labour Party, you know, a lot of Labour Party activists on the left are saying that they're going to have to leave the party. The talk of setting up a new party, well, that's that's never going to work. That's um, that's uh, with our electoral system, that's absolutely impossible. With a with a proportional representation system, you know, our political landscape would look very different, and people wouldn't hesitate to set up new parties. That, but but without with our system, it's a complete non-starter. So, um, well, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what, what happens. But when I say that, I mean the extent to which there are further purges, the extent to which Palestine advocacy within the party is actually squashed and all the rest of it. At the moment, we're at the stage of uh, these five equally pathetic lead, so-called leadership candidates all caving in immediately. You know, we're not at the point yet where these ten pledges are being implemented, you know.
0: Bottom line, Um, bottom line, Basil. Bottom line, does this mean that you're going to see the Conservatives, the Tories, going to reign for another guaranteed another ten years? Is that is that what this really means?
1: Well, Labour have only won three elections in the last forty five years, and uh, all three of them under the neoliberal Blair. So you know it's going to be very, very, very (laughs) difficult indeed for any genuinely left-wing Labour Party to win an election in Britain, not necessarily because people don't agree with the policies, you know, renationalisation of railways and some sort of redistribution of wealth in favour of the working poor is, you know, extremely popular. But because, via uh, a combination of media and this, that and the other, um, the Conservatives got
0: have got a stranglehold on power in Britain. Wow, and it looks like it's going to stay that way for... The foreseeable future.
1: The foreseeable future, yes. But just going on from this, uh, Palestinian advocacy um, is becoming increasingly difficult, not just in the Labour Party. It's come out just in the last few days that counter-terrorist police have identified the Palestine Solidarity Campaign uh, as being a possibly extremist organisation. Uh, and one that therefore needs monitoring under the so-called Prevent scheme. The Palestinian Solidarity Campaign, the uh, campaign against the arms trade, the campaign for nuclear disarmament, and the Stop the War Coalition are all identified as extremist organizations and therefore worthy of monitoring under counterterrorism policing. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding you.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, where that's where that's where things are. Uh, that's 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 uh, unprecedented. That's unprecedented. So this is this is the uh, this is Boris's uh, government of the people. I can see. Very interesting Orwellian turn <laughs> that's been done here. Yes,
1: interesting. I mean, because this has now you know come out in you know, it. You know, this is now in the public domain. We can expect some pushback. Yes. Um, but had it not into the public domain, you know, then uh, one could only one can only assume that what well, the next step traditionally for uh, our glorious boys in blue, of course, is to infiltrate these groups and start making notes on people. And we are in a sort of Stasi type secret police situation but you know let's just reflect for a moment the campaign against the arms trade you know, does what it says on the tin it, it tries to you know scale down the industry of death and destruction that causes so much suffering around the world you know mm-hmm. uh, and yet that's placed on, a, on an anti-terrorist you know you would have thought That the weapons manufacturers and those that supply them to homicidal regimes would be should or if anybody was going to be placed on a terrorist, it would be them. Entirely non-violent groups like the Campaign Against the Arms Trade have no place anywhere like this. And if I can quote Andrew Smith, a spokesperson for the Campaign Against the Arms Trade. He said that their placement on the terror watch list was political policing. The message that this appalling list sends is that if you care about social justice or oppose war, arms sales, discrimination or conflict, then you can be included alongside white nationalist and neo-Nazi hate groups. Political policing has been a major problem. This document takes things to a whole new level. It is yet another shameful attempt to repress dissent. It further discredits the fundamentally flawed prevent scheme. It is long past time for police and government to stop criminalizing democratic protest.
0: There, well said. Well, look, in, in, a, in, in some of the banana republics or some of the more, um, let's say, fascist-leaning Balkan states, uh, where anybody campaigning against the arms trade is basically campaigning against the state uh, because the state has an interest uh, direct interest in the arms trade in those countries, but here uh, the, you have the corporate state, which is technically separate from the government state, but yet they are really one and the same. If you if you peel back the layers of the onion, and this is what uh, Benito Mussolini. So uh, eloquently (laughs) quoted as fascism, the merger of of corporate and state interests, Uh, you know, coming together, the mesh of corporate and government systems and interests coming together. Uh, And this is what the government does in reaction to anybody protesting against anything that's going to slow this business down, this this death business. Uh, They're going to be uh, labeled as uh, extremist, basically. So, yeah, there it is.
1: Yes, exactly. You know, where we go from here on it, I don't know. This appeared in the, uh, you know, in the Guardian. Um, we haven't heard anything yet from the police about whether people like the Campaign Against the Arms Trade are going to remain on this terror watch list. You know, whether the chattering classes have begun to wake up to the fact that we're increasingly living in a police state or not.
0: So we'll see where we go with that one.